0: This morning, we are the Smothers brothers. <laughs> hey, that's better than dumb and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> this last week, I uh, was uh, looking at what we're dealing with this morning, and um, the challenges of being a peacemaker. one of the challenges is that of anger, and uh, we're going to I thought, you know, one of the questions has been is, how can you tell uh, the difference between um, healthy, angry? and unhealthy angry in fact that was one of the questions how can we be healthy and angry the bible doesn't necessarily he uses the bible contrasts two types of anger doesn't necessarily give a a word for it but we typically call it healthy or unhealthy or righteous and unrighteous so how can we tell the difference many of us because it is confusing and complex many of us heard throughout our lives early lives that it's wrong to be angry right anybody hear that you know, preachers tend to like to preach that, things like that, suppress it, bury it, whatever. Um, but uh, 75% of the references in the Bible refer to God's anger. So therefore, it, it must not always be wrong. Um, but it's safe to say, and we discussed this last week, that anger makes us capable. It, anger kind of makes us, it mobilizes us for war. It mobilizes us as warriors. Uh, makes us capable of destroying a relationship or redeeming a relationship. But before we can understand how it redeems a relationship, which we will talk about soon, um, uh, starting at this morning, um, we need to understand just how can we tell the difference between right and wrong, healthy, unhealthy, righteous, unrighteous, anger. Aristotle said this, anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way. This is not easy. Can I have an amen? That is so true, but how can you tell the difference? I'm going to start out by talking a little bit about destructive anger, and and I've given um, Jim permission to chime in as I go through, and vice versa. That kind of goes both ways. But how can you tell destructive anger? I'll get it out. (laughs) <laughs> there we go. Uh, destructive anger will emerge, and this is kind of a review some of last week. Destructive anger will always emerge from various places hidden in our backstage. Uh, there are various sources of destructive anger, things like physical issues, um, chemical imbalance, stress, fatigue, some of what we talked about last week, psychological issues. Uh, rooted in sort of a twisted or false identity or many other issues related to our our psychology. You can speak more with a counselor or psychiatrist, um, Sebastian, on that. That's really beyond my pay grade. Sociological issues, uh, how one has learned to engage and handle conflict in one's home, you know, family of origin, things like that the spiritual is the one i tend to focus more on and that is our character toxic choices when we hold on to things like bitterness and it begins to escalate from there into grudges and unforgiveness you see that escalation in passages like ephesians 4:31 uh, which ultimately results in demonic strongholds so these play these can come from all kinds of places Now, destructive anger is not a simple thing, no anger is, but I found in my own life that it will usually come from two, three, or four, all four of those areas. So it's difficult, difficult to discern. And I think that's why Solomon writes in Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purposes or the inclinations, the intentions... Of a man's heart or a person's heart are like deep waters. In other words, they go deep. They go much deeper than what we understand. But a one who has insight, a person of wisdom, a person of discernment, can draw them out. They look deeper. They look at the behind the stage stuff, the, the behind the curtains, and begin to discern just what's going on. Sorry, you're in my bad, you're in my
1: bad peripheral yeah, vision. One of the things that's striking about anger is it's always the the result of a trigger. One of the things that's really important is to recognize the trigger as we we look into the backstage of our lives, or when we look into and helping others through love into the backstage of theirs. So what does that look like? What is the trigger? Well, if somebody said a harsh word and we reacted to that, it isn't the harsh word that was the trigger. It's what's behind that harsh word. Why did we react and it's important that we think about that and process that when we work together.
0: Exactly. And uh, that's, where, that's where you need discernment. And I think it's also where you need to really first and foremost go to the Lord and says, like, uh, like uh, David writes, he says, you know, be still, be still. What was the verse that just slipped my mind? Um, where God examines, see if there's any wicked or anxious way within my own heart. Look deep and allow the Spirit to, to move. Allow community to move in our lives. Um, it's a complex issue and I think that when we read uh, like Ephesians 4.26, be angry and yet do not sin or James 1. Uh, Every one must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to get angry. The Bible recognizes the complexity of it. And the complexity says stop. Because it's complex, stop. Examine what is what is fueling the anger just like what Jim says. You know, What is the purpose of your anger? Um, am I fighting against the other person to get back and revenge, or is my anger going to destroy shalom, our, our God's peace and our flourishing? Um, and what are the the consequences of that anger? You know, uh, there was a person who uh, made the statement, um, "Anger is a stage of madness that begins with being mad and ends with regret." Right. So, it's a, it's a very destructive process. Um, but it's important that we need to be slow to anger. And here's why James goes on and says in verse 20 of, verse one, of chapter 1 For the anger of man does not achieve the righteous purposes, the righteousness or the purposes of God within our life, within my life and within my relationships, or your life and your relationships. So, therefore, it's important that if that we understand what is our anger what where is it coming from and you also need to understand that if God's purpose for our relationships for me and our relationships is shalom God's peace and our flourishing that the, we have an enemy and what is his purpose to kill, to kill steal and destroy exactly so that's the that's the tension that's the the battle that wages within us so destructive anger will emerge from various places in our backstage and it always drives us to do something. It drives us to control another person in inappropriate, disrespectful and condescending ways. Um, It's where we have to consume their decisions. One author says it causes us to consume their decisions, to to, uh, control their decisions, their choices, their methods, their personal preferences—it's the kind of control that says you got to do things my way, <laughs> or else. And you can find out whether or not you're, um, that, that's coming out of a, an attitude or a heart of control by how you begin to respond. If that—if their unwillingness or their inability to do things your way begins to rise up within you, a desire to strike out with power. Because if it does, that's destructive anger. That is destructive anger. And as it grows and develops, you begin to, in your own mind, begin to work out these scenarios of how you can get your way. How you can get back at that person. You end up demonizing or devaluing him or her. It all not only leads us to control, it also leads us to manipulate a person to meet my needs, my desires, my expectations in inappropriate, disrespectful, and condescending ways. Through using intimidation, the silent treatment. In other words, he says, our tendency within, when we live out of our flesh within our relationships and our marriages, when we live out of our flesh, our desire and our passion is to to use people to fill in my own emptiness, my own loneliness, my own longings, needs, and expectations. But some of us may ask the question, "Well, Martin, I do have needs. That's why I got got married." You know, I'd like to tell. People, you know, no man, or, no man ever gets married to be celibate. You know, and sometimes sex becomes a real challenging part of one's relationship. Um, but there is a difference between I demand that another person meet my needs, my legitimate needs, a demandingness versus a desire. A demandingness is destructive. It goes and says you will or else. A desire says this is what I long for. From you. And I realize that I cannot control you and I cannot demand of you, but this is what I long for. You see the difference? Huge world of difference. One approaches the person from a position of control and power, the other one approaches the person from the position of humility and longing for what God longs for in that relationship. You know, when we approach it from a destructive anger position, we become like those in James where it says, you want something, but you don't get it. So therefore, as a result of that, you're not meeting my needs, desires, expectations. You kill and you covet. He's not talking about killing in a physical sense. He's talking about how the mind is beginning to churn and how you're going to get what you want. You kill and you covet. But you cannot have what you want. So what's that produce? Quarreling and fighting. It's always an escalation. Always an escalation. That's destructive anger. You see this throughout the Psalms. Uh, one, One passage in Psalm 59 says, People, speaking of people, they return at evening, snarling like dogs, and they prowl about the city. They wander about for food, and they howl if not satisfied. That's a person who has manipulative, destructive, controlling anger. Sometimes that even sneaks into our relationship with God when God doesn't give us what we want, right? In Isaiah chapter 8, they are entering into a period of discipline by the Lord called the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And as a result of that, Isaiah writes this, they are distressed and hungry and they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged. Enraged with who? Enraged with others because they can't get what they want. And as a result of that, they, then they look upward and they, it goes to the point where they will even curse their king and their God. Why? Because of anger. And then what happens out of that when you, can't, when you control and you seek to manipulate, then you begin to punish You begin to punish a person who doesn't meet your demands, needs, or desires, or expectations. And you think in your own mind, this is how I will make them pay. And you may not think in those those words, those terms, but that becomes the result. That's destructive. It's turned us into a warrior that looks at other people and says, give me what I want or I will destroy you. Give me what I want or I will destroy you. For moms, it's really easy for your kids when your kids aren't doing what you want them to do, right? And you feel so righteous, so right. And you're, What you want them to do is good and noble and sane and peaceful. And they look at you and they say, what we want to do is bad, ignoble, insane and not peaceful. Moms experience that? What happens within you? Righteous anger or destructive anger? for me it was always right <laughs> for for me i looked at my kids sometimes and said i brought you into this world and i can take you out that's destructive anger for those of us who are unclear on the concept all right <laughs> so but what is righteous anger what is a righteous anger this is where jim takes over
1: what is righteous anger let's start with a little bit of a definition the recognition of sin and its impact on lives. Those lives could be yourself or they could be another. Ephesians four twenty six and twenty seven says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So righteous anger allows you to to express something. We're going to talk about what that is here in a minute. And yet we do not let the enemy in. We don't let fear, we don't let anger, we don't let control, we don't let destruction, we don't let manipulation into the equation. So what does that look like? Uh, Anger is outward focused rather than inward focused when it's righteous anger. You're, You're dealing with a situation or an event, not how it impacted you directly. A good example of this is Jesus in the temple. And this comes out, it's in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. So that usually tends to mean that it's an important event. It's, and I'm going to quote out of John uh, t- uh, 2, 14 through 17. And he, Jesus, found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changer sitting. And when he had, excuse me, I lost my point. When he had made a, a scourge of small cords, do we all remember what a scourge is? It's what Jesus was whipped with before he went to the cross. Uh, it's designed to damage. And he drove them all out of the temple and also made the sheep and, and the oxen leave as well. And he poured out the money changers money on the floor. Now you can imagine these people making their living at this and he threw it on the ground. And he th- and he threw the tables over so they couldn't even figure out what was theirs. And he drove them out as well. And he said those To those who sold doves, take these things away from here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remember what it was said. The zeal of your house has eaten me up. And I want to do is spend just a moment talking about the heart of Jesus on this whole process. He was angry, but controlled. He took the time, without expressing the anger, to build the scourge. And then he went in, and he drove the people and the merchandising out, spilled the money, made some people very, very angry. But you have to understand, it's more than the people that were in the, in, the, in the courtyard. You see, it was a political structure. The authorities in the church or in the synagogue received income off of that. To them, it was a process of, of a receiving income and controlling, they sold it. those who would give them a good exchange were probably the ones who got to have those tables. So what does that mean? Well the power structure was what was really being charged against. and he did it in such a public way that everybody in Jerusalem, I'm sure talked about it. And they talked about how they probably felt as well, how wrong it was that they would bring an appropriate sacrifice. And it would be rejected because you had to buy the one that was approved or it wasn't an appropriate sacrifice. Think about the process of that. And Jesus understood that when he did this, it angered the the leadership, the religious leadership in the synagogue, that it was the starting trigger that resulted in his crucifixion. So he used profound courage, profound love, the love based on that he did not want his children being subjected to that process to worship the Father. So you have to think about that whole process and why the motivation behind it was really profound. And I would add that that is a perfect example of Jesus
0: fighting for shalom. The temple was where, and the synagogue was where, they connected with the Father. And the Father connected with them. And he was fighting for that. He was not fighting against the people. He was fighting against what what people were doing because it was destroying people. And they turned around and they said, we are going to destroy you. See the difference between righteous and unrighteous? He was fighting for something that was very precious to God and to us. Thank you.
1: You know, there's a number of types of... of Righteous anger uh, based. You can think about this. We see these. I'm sure we've experienced them in our own lives. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. Different types of abuse. So we look at that. What is that? It looks like violence, threats, diminishing others, infidelity, abandonment, emotional or physical. And the use of God to manipulate others. Now these tend to kind of go together, because when when one is being violated, there's usually more than one involved. Physical abuse usually is about intimidation and control. So it's psychological as well as as physical. Spiritual abuse could be something as simple as, hey, I'm the head of the household. You're going to do what I tell you to do. Have we ever ever done that? I did that a few times. A Uh, long time ago. I wish. I learned. <laughs> uh, the challenge with that is, is is what? We're using God to punish or to drive somebody else. Rather than, what is, what is the correct attitude? One of service. One of love. One of humility. One that recognizes that God is in control and not us. Okay, so what what happens when this, when this occurs? Well, it requires us to expose it, expose the evil to the light, and to protect the innocents that are involved. Those innocents might be a neighbor, it might be our children, it might be our spouse, it might be us. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, against the world rulers, of the darkness of this age against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wow. So it talks about a spiritual war that we as people allow to drive our lives. So when we want to address that, how do we do that? We don't address it. Well, there's actually several ways we can address it. Uh, (laughs) I... Do we do what they do? i got a quote down here. Do to them what they do to us. Has anybody here ever practiced that? Yeah. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Until, until it's over and you never have a relationship with that person again.
0: <laughs> it just feels so right and righteous at the time.
1: <laughs> oh. Another one. Are we rewarding sin? Are we rewarding the aggression with the wrong re-response. Gee whiz, how about this one? Conditional love. If you'll do what I tell you to do, then I will give you what you want. If you'll only practice me in charge, then I'll make your life easier. When we do that, what are we really doing? We're saying that love is conditional. That it doesn't matter... What they do, as long as they do what we want them to do, we're going to be okay with it, and therefore they will be okay. What does that do to their spirit? What does that do to them as people? What does that do to our children if we do that to them? It confuses them. They want to be loved. They're going to misbehave. So, so it creates an interesting challenge in understanding what that should really look like. And we, if we respond to somebody doing that to us, and we go along to get along. How many people have heard that comment? Well, the challenge with that is, is that if we're rewarding them for their bad behavior, then we're actually part of the problem. I think that's called peace faker. Okay. So what is it that we should do? We should hate evil and love the person. What does that look like? Well, one, we're warriors, right? To fight for others and for what is right. And we have to do this with love, because love is courageous. We do it for the right reasons. We don't do it to hurt. We do it to heal. We do it to expose the enemy and the strongholds. We do that to, to restore that person to correct thinking. We pray and ask God for help for us, for them, and for the situation. We ask God to intervene where the enemy is fighting to destroy relationships. That's what he's about. If he can destroy a relationship, a Christian family, what has he accomplished? Wow, think about that. If we don't get along, what does it do to us? It it hurts us profoundly. Um, Okay, and physical abuse. When you see that, usually the best thing to do is dial 911. Pretty straightforward. Because it has to be contained. We have to set boundaries that, if we really love, we will set boundaries around what people can do that are biblical boundaries so that it doesn't continue. One of the keys of that is Luke 6:42 through 45. And it says, Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me pull the splinter from your eye. So we're now talking about that sin, right? When you yourself do not see the beam in your own. So what is your motive? Usually we have the wrong, a lot of times, I have done it many times, had the wrong motive for why I'm trying to help somebody. I'm really trying to do it to help myself. That's the wrong motive. And that's the beam. Hypocrite, first cast out the beam of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to pull the splinter from the other person's eye. So praying about how does God want me to handle that and deal with it. Putting God in charge. Being being forthright, straight, but loving and caring. How can I help you in this struggle? For a good tree does not bring forth corrupt fruit, Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. That's back to the old, you know, if, if you know them by their fruit. When you see the corruption and the, and the what comes out of that, you know the corruption is there. So sometimes we can address and help people by just talking about the result of what comes out of that. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from uh, brambush. A good man... Out of the tr- good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so that's also part of the peacemaker process. How do we heal and bring peace? And sometimes it's for the fight, but the goal is healing and peace. So, one of the things we need to ask ourselves are we part of the problem? or really part of the solution. What role am I playing in this process? Now, me for one, I have many times uh, looked for places to hide because I didn't really want to get involved. But what does that do to me when I see a problem that I'm not willing to help? It makes me participate in that sin, doesn't it? So we need to have clear thinking based on God's perspective. And then lastly, uh, Corinthians uh, 10, 3-6. For though we walk about in flesh, we do not war against according to flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, pulling down imaginary and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. So as believers, as we struggle with our own issues and, and those of our neighbor's, those of other friends in the faith were asked to help, to step in, to be part of the process to heal, to fight the enemy, to work with them, to overcome the strongholds that are developing or have developed in their lives. And bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ, having readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What does that mean? It means that you have to obey first, correctly, before you can really help somebody else with their disobedience. So, closing. Judgment. Based on evil and not the person. Uh, Luke uh, 6. Therefore, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. I want you to think about that judgment statement. That's Jesus speaking. So when you actually judge the person for the problem rather than the problem for the problem and look to to reconcile that individual, you're actually bringing condemnation onto yourself. Because you will also be judged by what you judged them for. And that's not a good thing to do.
0: So let's get real practical here. Someone asked the question last week. Um, uh, the question is What do you do when you are trying to stop and think instead of reacting, but the person you're angry with won't let you stop and think and keeps yelling and pushing your anger? So, what do you do when one person wants to just kind of withdraw, be quiet? Think about it. Reflect upon what's really going on here versus the other one just keeps coming at you. What do you do? Um, I want to begin by asking this question being how does our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High King shape our response in the heat of the moment? Because this becomes an identity issue. It becomes the Gospel has got to be able to be infused into the complexities of our lives, the example of Jesus, into the complexities of our lives so that we can then engage others in a healthy, not destructive way. So, um, I'll share some thoughts. I'll give Jim a chance to share some thoughts. And first of all is this. um, Own your own stuff. And what I mean by that is this. I've seen times when a person will will begin to push another person's buttons and then the other person begins to rise up against that and then they say, gee, you're really mad, aren't you? How does this really make you feel? I mean, they don't say it like that, but then they go all righteous on them and say, you should not be, you should not be treating me this way. All the while, they have never owned or thought about, gee, what have I, have I, what, what have I done intentionally to create this situation. You understand what I'm saying? Jim, you mentioned that a little bit this last week. Someone, I'll let you explain it. If that sounds familiar. does <laughs> um, not coming to mind. Okay, well, that's alright. It came to my mind. It doesn't mean it didn't start there and I attributed it to you. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me summarize it in this way. We can't push buttons and then cast blame. Hey, uh, one of the things that brings that out was when we were at that conference, one of the things he said is, it's important to own the 1% that you do. Yes. And a lot of times we like to attribute blame to someone else and we go after them because it's 90% their fault. But if we're not owning our stuff, that 1% or 10%, like that's where hell comes in in conflict because if I can't own my stuff, how do I expect them to own theirs? Even if I only have to own 1%. Excellent. Yes, exactly. I would also add to that, and that is that uh, you do need to put in boundaries for yourself and for uh, as for yourself and as a couple. And what that means is that uh, before, when you're not in the conflict, you've got to lay down some of the the rules of conflict. And that is that we will not begin anger, begin yelling, and destroying one another because that's destructive. So therefore, the ground rules are one that is. If we start to feel like we're losing control and it's becoming destructive, we withdraw. We take and we take a time out. Now, what do you do if one person says time out, but the other one keeps coming at you? It may mean that you need to leave the premise um, just to just to provide some space. I've I've seen situations where the one person will chase the one out down outside outside the. in the backyard, into the bedroom, wherever, because they're just so out of control. The best thing at that point is just to leave. Just to leave, if at all possible. Uh, If that's not possible, then you you call for some help. Okay? Um, Because that person is right then, at that point in time, out of control, and they are seeking to destroy. Uh, They may not look at it as such. But that is, the, that is the cause and the effect of what they are trying, of what is going on. Um, so, and it takes time to practice. I love Sebastian's um, uh, analogy last week that changing our patterns of anger is like trying to stop a freight cha- train at full speed. It's going to create noise. It's going to create sparks. It's going to create smoke and stink. But you will eventually slow down because we have spent, for me, I've spent 50 years learning to be angry in one way, and suddenly I'm trying to relearn a new way. So just keep that in mind. Jim, you have anything else?
1: Yeah, uh, there's, uh, I'm not quite sure where they're at, but we printed some documents that I'm going to talk about are on. The challenge when you when you're angry and it's starting and, it, and it's escalating is what do you do? I mean. The reality is is you have to agree to something beforehand. And when you do that, to slow it down and to allow the people to process it. What's on the document back there, it'll just be a sheet of paper, but it talks about the following. It says, and I talked about this last week a little bit, and the paper isn't important What's actually important is that you slow down and talk through it. Through the hurt, through the anger, and you use the following process. First of all, you pray. It could be a quick prayer. Oh, Lord, we need Tell you. Tell me Jesus. Tell me Jesus. Because I'm going to kill him. <laughs> hey, we're being honest. It's no, a of lament. Yeah. Okay, so then you're going to go oh, through. Oh, and smash his head against the stones. <laughs> But I won't, Lord. I'm going to put that whip together with a scourge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first thing you do is you, you take facts. And I'm actually going to encourage you to write them down. Because writing them down slows it down even more. Write down the facts. What actually happened? Now, the hard part about that, of course, is you want to write down your emotions. Because that's what you're fueled by. But you can't write down your emotions. You've got to write down your facts. When you're through doing that, and it can be cryptic, all you have to do is be able to refer to it so you know what each of you said. And the challenge is, of course, what? You're going to have different facts. I mean, I saw Martin... The right ones and the wrong ones. I saw Martin and Kim have different facts about a discussion they had a couple weeks ago. Remember that? The right ones and the wrong ones. (laughs) (laughs) And then, talk about your feelings. How did those facts react to you? What occurred? Be willing to discuss... What really happened beyond the fa- beyond the facts? Further back, well, I was I've been angry for four days because I got slighted or embarrassed or something, and this is the incident that I use just to get angry about not emptying the dishwasher or something. Those are important to, to to talk about, to to discuss. Write those down. And then what's really important is talk about solutions. So the next time this happens. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to talk about the embarrassment that occurred way back, not about the actual incident, or whatever else happened that caused that to show up. And then you're going to do something that's really profound, to breaking strongholds, is you're going to talk about if, if the solution doesn't work because something got in the way, call it spoilers, then what are we going to do about the spoiler? And what that does is it causes, by slowing down and having that conversation, is you heal the emotional problem and you come together and have a conversation about all the issues that are going on. And it's a profound thing. It's letting God into, the, into your marriage. It's about being open and honest about what really occurred and why it occurred and how we're impacting each other. When we do that, there's profound healing. If we don't do it, we end up with What? profound destruction. Uh,
0: one other question that we're going to have time to deal with that I'm going to close with. Um, I'm trying to catch up on some of the, the related uh, questions that you all have asked. Um, hi, Martin. Hi. Um, what does it look like to live this passage in Matthew 18 uh, in marriage? Does Matthew 18:15 18, 18, through 17 apply to marriage? If so, how? And how does a spouse living with a peacemaker uh, and, because, and how, how does a spouse living, live being a peacemaker and call the son and daughter of God while applying Matthew 18? My answer for that is this, and that is that uh, Matthew 18 speaks about when one person sins against you, you go and you, you um, go to that person, and if they don't hear, then you go and you grab another person. And so it's verified and it's processed through two people. Um, the way in which that applies to marriage is this. And that is that if you're unable to resolve sins against one another, then you go and you bring in a third party. Now, it's very difficult because I've heard people say, I don't want anyone else in my business. Um, Which is really arrogant. That is incredibly arrogant. To think that we're smart enough by ourselves to figure out life by ourselves. And I just want to call it what it is. It's pride. Pride. It is pride. And it will destroy you. But you go and you invite someone else into the process. Well, what happens if the other person won't, won't allow it, but, uh, but you want it? Then you go by yourself. And then you invite, the, you, you invite that person into your part of that stuff in terms of having to deal with it. Um, that's how it plays out. And it is an, it's a hard thing to do, but it's a very redemptive thing to do. Because what you are doing is you are saying, I can't deal with your stuff, I can't take responsibility to, uh, for others dealing with your stuff, but I can deal with my stuff and this is how I need to do it. And they need to respect that. That's part of this; these ground rules that need to be laid out. Okay? So, Brian, were you going to say something? Okay. You were just doing exercises. So, um, other than that, I, actually I think what he was doing was saying, Martin, it's time to... Be, time to time to close down. So, um, that's how it works out. Now, I don't pretend to think that we've answered all the questions or given the clarifying thoughts on this complex issue of anger. But hopefully what we're doing is helpful. Uh, The next time, which is two weeks from today, we'll deal and flesh out this process a little bit more that uh, Jim has stated and uh, begin to process that as well. So. Keep your questions coming. I am getting to them. If I haven't gotten to yours yet, I will. Um, that's very important to me as we process this together. So let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, uh, above all, this is not going to happen without your spirit, without your, your working within our lives. Lord, I pray that you would humble us. Lord, that we would not look at our lives and say, I don't need anybody. But instead, Father, we would cry out and say, we thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit. We thank You for the community of faith that You've placed us into so that we might be able to change by the power of Your Spirit and through the wisdom of Your Word and the Gospel. Lord, that we might be able to become more and more like Christ, following the ways of Christ, Lord, in all aspects of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand.